Renegade Aviator, David Costa. Oh, oh, updated wind on. Two soldiers, five. We on the airfield in airspace. You are clear for takeoff. Have a good one. Thanks, Mo. Clear for takeoff. Check your bucket brake off. Check your trim set. Check your nozzle steering on. Maneuver. Damn it, half school phase. Left turn out. That's what I'm up. Off brakes now. The Renegade Aviator combines jet airshow performances and this radio show to promote aviation, excellence, overcoming obstacles, and achieving goals. Here he is, the Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and I've got a guest today because you know you don't want me all by myself on the Renegade Aviator radio show. You love the guests. That's what I hear from my fans each and every week. This week, I've got a friend of mine. It's also a guy that's flown with me, and rumors are, these are just rumors, ladies and gentlemen, that the Renegade Aviator can be difficult to fly with. I don't know. I've heard that before. Uh, maybe it's because I put a high bar there. Maybe because I'm just an idiot. But uh, I'm going to get to my guest in just a second. But I want to remind you of two things. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, to do this radio show each and every week, we need crew. And you can join my crew by going to my website, renegadeav, the number 8R.com, renegadeaviator.com, and join my crew. It's real simple. As little as $3 a month, you can be a part of the crew. That helps us put this show together. As you notice, we don't have a lot of commercials on this show, but we bring you guests each and every week. And my focus is air shows. My focus is excellence demonstrated. My focus is entertainment, hopefully. Hopefully. That's the goal here. And the second thing I want to remind you of is worldrecordjet.com. This is the coolest thing I could think of in the time of COVID. Worldrecordjet.com. Go to the website and check us out because we are taking a jet that's over 50 years old, a pilot that's over 50 years old. We're going after records that are over 50 years old. We are boomers. The jet's a boomer. The pilot's a boomer. The records are boomers. And we're putting Gen Z in charge. Generation Z, you Zoomers, we are looking for the young people to help us in this passion. If you have a passion for aviation, if you want to get involved in a world record attempt with a real military jet, I don't know what's stopping you. Quite frankly, I don't know what's stopping you. I'm going to have to fill out a hurt feelings report because I don't know why you're not going to worldrecordjet.com and signing up. All you got to do is give me your email and stay in touch because we are starting phone calls each and every week so you can be socially distant and involved in a world record attempt. How about that. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to introduce my guest today, my friend Clyde Kawasaki. And Clyde has flown with me in the Lear 60 that we use to operate and hangs out at the airport. But Clyde has done a whole bunch of stuff on his own. I'm not going to take Clyde's thunder away. Clyde, welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Glad to be here this morning, Dave. Big fan of yours, of course. Oh, wow. Look at that. Holy <laughs> cow. I didn't even put 20 bucks across the table. That's pretty good. I like that. No, thank you, Clyde. I am really humbled by that. 
Clyde has been one of my original fans. Thank you very much. But Clyde, you've got, you're here at the Minden Airport with me. You've flown with me, but you've got your whole history that's quite extensive. Give us a little bit of an overview of Clyde Kawasaki. Well, I grew up as a little kid living in a, believe it or not, cane field and watching the Murray Air Crop Dusters put fertilizer down on cane fields. And I just got enamored with flying from watching these guys do their heavy-duty fertilizing and spraying and things of that nature. And one day my mom took me up there and to the little crop duster strip and got up real close to the airplane and it smelled of chemicals and things of that nature. And I was like, this is something I could do. So eventually, as time went on, um, we moved to Kamuela where I used to ride my bicycle, which I still do here on the field, to the airport two miles and watch the airplanes come and go and that was before the days of fences you could actually walk on the ramp and touch airplanes and that was really really big for a 14 year old kid then one day gliders showed up and this gentleman that was flying the gliders guy by the name of woodson k woods the late woodson k woods he passed away just recently he became my mentor and my um if you will my hero that uh, I follow, tried to follow his footsteps to become a pilot. And eventually, after all these years, I became a pilot. It's been about, what, 10 years, 10, 15 years? <laughs> <laughs> I was 14 at the time, and I got my license, my private pilot's license at ASU at the age of 18 and uh, progressed on with all the different ratings until I got my commercial and I did something very foolish and got married the first time. That didn't work out, but went back to flying again. And this time I stayed flying and continued onward with my ratings and things of that nature and uh, wound up uh, building time by flying anything and everything you could possibly fly and became an instructor and found out that was kind of hairy, but it was a lot of fun. But uh, eventually wound up becoming a pilot for Aloha Airlines and spent 20 years there, which was uh, one of the best jobs I've ever had. That went away when 2008, and I proceeded to go and do other things, fly for other airlines, and went to Guam and flew there for three years, going to exotic places like Hong Kong and Ponape and Palau and things of that nature. Uh, a lot of fun. Now, how many years was that? How many years has your career been? Not to put you on the spot. You can uh, estimate. Airliners. <laughs> <laughs> I've been flying airliners for about 30 years and part 135 air taxis uh, in between those years. And uh, a total commercial flying time was probably about 40 years. So this is where maybe we can start with that kind of idea. It wasn't too long ago, maybe three or four months ago, where kids were coming out getting a pilot license, and becoming a 7-3 FO, right? Yes. And it was easy, and they thought they had the world by the tail, and guys like us that have been there, done that, kind of smiled. I know you were doing the same thing at these kids and going, the market will change. Yes. So why don't you remind, maybe remind people a little bit about the type of flying that you have to do before the average person gets into a 737 that you flew at Aloha, and then you went on to fly other airplanes too. Yeah. Well, you know, 
you always wind up building time, which my son is doing right now. Uh, he's building time to get into the airlines, and you wind up going through the alphabet soup of getting your ratings. And the one rating that people use to get their ratings, I mean, their uh, flight time is being a flight instructor. When you become a flight instructor, that's a license to learn how to teach. It's an ongoing thing that you actually still have to work at in order to be a good teacher. Because these kids are going to, your, your students are going to be the next generation of airline pilots or even general aviation pilots. They're going to be taking their families, their friends, paying passengers that you're going to have a responsibility for. And you better make sure that you're teaching them right the first time because you don't want to have anything to come back to you, of course. The pathway is different now, right? So the pathway is not, not that it's bad, it just is, right? We want to say good or bad on everything, but the pathway now is you flew other stuff in your career besides just the lucky pilots. And the, people think when they want to become an airline pilot, and you were an airline captain, it, it's a it's a straight path, I guess, that you you come out, you sit in the right seat of a jet, you get a captain in a jet, and it never changes. But you've flown some other stuff. You flew some turboprop, obviously the piston stuff. You you did other things because of the necessity of the career path that we chose. We were dumb enough to be pilots when we grew up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the necessity. You know, it's, it's when you're building time to get that dream job. You know, you fly anything and everything you can possibly get your hands on. I mean, DC-3s. How many people have actually flown a DC-3, especially nowadays? You know, you get a chance to go fly a DC-3, do it. You get a chance to go fly a Twin Beach, do it. You get a chance to go fly some decrepit Apache or 10 hey, or some, hey, some hey, twin. Hey, don't don't yell at the Apache. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I had a modern rendition of that, the Aztec. There you go. The flying sweet potato, as they used to call it. I've flown just about 200 different oddball airplanes and airplanes in general. Some some of them you will never hear of because they're antiques. I mean, how many how many people have ever heard of an air coupe? A few, not many. <laughs> With or without rudder pedals? Without. <laughs> there you go. The one I flew had didn't have the rudder pedals, and that was the most unique experience that I've ever had flying an airplane with no rudder pedals. Very unique. Just one pedal, the brake. Yep, that's it. So what was your most challenging, the most challenging part of your career? What could you, if you had to put a pin on that, maybe the most challenging part of your career and what you did to overcome that? Well, the most challenging was eventually getting that job. But I've had several challenges that, you know, of course, uh, you know, when when we lost our jobs, when Aloha went bankrupt due to the economy crashing and things, other things like that, just finding another job. Now, here, here I was at 55, even though the age limit for airliners, airline pilots, is 65, I still had 10 more years. But the economy had crashed and nobody's hiring. So a lot of my friends who were younger wound up flying for other carriers, such as foreign carriers, excuse me. You know, they had to go to different places in the world and live there, like Dubai. Yeah. No offense to my Dubai friends. <laughs> <laughs> but no, where I'm going at is that the, the, the careers change. The path may change. I wound up going down to the South Pacific and flying in Guam. I went to Fiji and flew there for a while. 
And then eventually I wound up coming home back to Hawaii and flew for a Part 135 company for a friend of mine, that a very dear friend of mine, flung a caravan. And that wound up being a... It was fun while it lasted. And one day it came to a screeching halt when the engine quit in the most inopportune time. I wound up having to ditch the airplane, spent according to, I don't know who had the timer, but they said 80 minutes treading water. And I don't like using this cliche, but it's we're treading water in shark-infested waters. But, you know, it took that long for them to find us. I mean, they knew where we were. They're people. But it was Hawaii. They just they just were getting around to it. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it'll be okay. They're getting around to it. That, you know, we went in, they picked up the EL, the emergency locator transponder almost immediately. And the irony of it was, uh, it was a friend of mine flying his citation. They had a citation too. And it was one of my best friends and my attorney. And they happened to be flying right over where we were treading water. And they says, hey, we're picking up an ELT signal here. And they go, yeah, it's right over the Kalapapa Peninsula. And they said, okay. And they kind of looked at each other and went, they're dead. Hmm. Because we discovered that there was... uh, several accidents off to, into the water off Kalapapa and they have never found survivors. Hmm. Just because of the because of the way the ocean is or Yeah, the way the ocean is and the wave action and just karma, you might say. Hmm. Maybe if if you don't mind go back on that because a lot of people think that rightly or wrongly, we all have a bulletproof attitude. So everybody gets up every day And as pilots, I think we are at fault more than most. But you get up every day and you go, it's not going to happen to me. It's going to be a good day. I don't know what the weather was, but it's Hawaii. It's probably pretty nice weather. Was your thought that day any different? I want to kind of walk through it and kind of any difference in your planning or nothing. This is the funny part is that I remember this very, very clearly. It was a Wednesday morning. It was the first flight in the Kalapapa. And we do a shuttle. We fly from Honolulu to Kalapapa, the first flight, bring passengers in. Then we do a shuttle topside to the to topside, what we call topside, Kaunakakai, Molokai, and then do a shuttle bringing people to and from, from topside to bottomside, the peninsula, for tours. And then you go back to topside, take a flight back to Honolulu, 56 miles or so, and take a break for an hour and a half. Then you fly back and do the same shuttle again because it's like six minutes going yeah. top to bottom. That's a quick flight. Yeah, very quick flight. I mean, checklist. <laughs> and well, and this is a single engine. For those of you that don't know what a caravan is, a single engine high wing Cessna. That's a turboprop. It holds. Ours was configured for eleven, but we could carry no more than nine passengers. Okay. So the co-pilot seat is not available, and we had. Uh, 10 seats in the back. Okay. Yeah. It was a very, very comfortable airplane. High wing, relatively slow. Turbine engine, so reliability is sort of high. Sort of. Until it quits. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's what happened. It was the last flight of the day, going home, and full load of passengers. We were near max gross weight, and uh, took off into very, I mean, we had the normal windy crosswind day, and the ocean was very very rough 
we had to time our departure in between waves because at the end of the runway is a sheer cliff, 40-foot cliff, and the waves would crash onto the cliff and shoot straight up. The water would come straight up, and it's blue water. Yeah. So if you've seen some of these carriers, carrier takeoffs where the airplane flies through this wave that shoots up into bow of the carrier, huh. uh, you don't want to do that. So you have to time the wave. So when the water hits the cliff and goes up, that's when you hit the power to take off so that as the water comes down, you fly over it. You don't want to get, you don't want to hit. Interesting. Yeah. But this was an ops normal day, yeah, right? Yeah, it's an ops normal day. So, was... so what went through your mind with that first, that first indication, right? Because no pilot wants to believe that this can happen to them. There was no indication. That's the irony of the whole thing. There was no warning, no nothing. My hair standing up. Reliving. (laughs) Yeah, we took off. It was perfectly normal. On-time departure. Looking forward to going home. It was like 3.30 in the afternoon on Wednesday. You know, I didn't think nothing. It's just like another normal day. I was going to go home, fight traffic, going back to the house in Eva Beach. We live 200 feet from the beach. And just a normal day. When the indication happened, so so that we can make it clear here, this was not a pilot error incident. This was an engine failure that Clyde can get into later. But this was the engine quitting. This is not a mistake. This is your one and only engine is now gone. And you just heard him say, you're taking off of a cliff. Yeah. Right? So you're taking off a cliff. Now the engine fails. Fails at about 500 feet, making the left turn to back towards Oahu, and we're over water, very rough water, and the engine just goes bang. No prior warning, no nothing. And uh, it was just a tremendous bang and no power. I had my annunciator panel. It lit up like a Christmas tree. Every light that could possibly come on went on, and every noise every warning went off and i didn't even have time until just prior to impact to even broadcast a mayday i was trying to figure out okay i know where i was going i gotta head back to land and you know at four or five hundred feet you don't have a whole lot of time you're thinking okay the thing quit why did it quit okay it feels everything's on and i'm heading for okay i'm set okay airspeed's good Heading's good. Rate of descent's good. Okay. Prepare for a water landing. That's all you can do. And people always talk about my life flashed before my eyes <laughs> and things of that nature. And it's like everything was happening at real time. It's like it's not supposed to happen this way. It should be slowing down and all that. Other. No, it doesn't. And we hit that water and came to an immediate stop. I mean, one of the passengers on board that became a very, very good friend of mine, Ferdinand Fuentes, he was videoing this. It's on YouTube. That's the one I saw then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of eerie because if you find it, it, there was not, no panic in the airplane. Panic. It was, got quiet. I don't think anybody knew in the back what was going on. Oh, they knew what was going on. I mean, on. but you know what I'm saying? But they're, but they're more stunned. I, I didn't see people screaming. No, screaming. no people screaming. And- but it's like, oh, my God, we're going to go in the water. And it's a high-wing airplane. So what part of the airplane floats? 
the wing. So it went under, right? The passenger compartment went under? No, the cockpit went under. Passenger compartment was fine. So you're nose down in the water. Okay. When I, uh, one of my shoulder harnesses uh, released, it didn't lock. And I wound up hitting the panel and opening the top of my head on one of the knobs we found later. They pulled the wreckage out later and the knob is bent 90 degrees from the impact of my head on it. And, um, you know, blood all over the place and in shark infested waters, I'm bleeding. Uh, yeah. Well, so yeah, guys and gals, if you want to check that out, but I mean, so what words of advice would you give? So without replaying, because obviously out of, out of respect, there was one fatality, but everybody else got out fine. And the fatality was not due to the, she died because of a heart attack. Okay. And they attributed that to her physical condition. Um, she was obese and she had heart issues that nobody knew about. Um, stress, of course. Yeah. Everybody had stress, yeah. you know. But you made a controlled entry into the water when we say Correct. it that way. It was a controlled entry. It was not a spin out of control. Everybody's screaming. And aside from her, which is, you know, again, we want to give her all due respect. Everybody got out. So without reliving all that, looking back, because I, I go back to the indestructibleness of pilots, of yeah. all of us. Yeah, we're indestructible, all right. Well, that's what we all believe, right? Yeah, we all believe it. But, you know, during that whole ordeal... You know, uh, the couple that I was hanging on to, because we all got scattered. Uh, we were all together. We're getting ready to tie together ourselves together because as a group, it'd be easier to find. But as we were tying off to each other, a wave came over at the top of everybody and everybody was gone. I mean, they just really? scattered. And thanks to the Navy, I know you're a Marine. Yeah, well, so we'll, sorry. We'll, well, that's okay. <laughs> we, we, we like the Navy. It's okay. Yeah, but... <laughs> The Navy showed up with one of their Sea Kings, and what they did was they flew over wherever they saw a body, and they dropped uh, a smoke marker that would drift with us. Hmm. So they were able to find us relatively quickly once the Coast Guard got there and once the uh, Maui Fire Department got there to pick us up. How long did that take? You were telling me. How long did that take? 80 80 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Imagine being in the water for 80 minutes. Now, I mean, they all had life vests, right? Uh, yes. I'm the only one that didn't have a life vest. I gave mine away. Okay. The gentleman that wrote the book on a wing and a prayer, he wrote a book about this accident, about him and his wife and the ordeal. And About your accident? Yeah. Oh, okay. There's a book by uh, Bruce Riley. He just passed away here a, few, a year or so ago. And he wrote a book on that, and... I didn't realize it was him that was in the cabin. He was looking for another life vest because he said his wife didn't have a life vest. So I found one and gave it to him, and it, it was just floating right there. So I gave it to him, and he took it. I didn't realize. I just gave mine away. Hmm. But, you know, I tossed out the seat cushions and all that kind of stuff. So the the airplane, people always want to know this. The airplane didn't immediately sink to the bottom. No. So it stayed afloat. It so, stayed afloat. So one of your words of advice might be to the passengers, right? Don't panic, right? There can be more cause to panic and know where your life jackets are, right? And all those little things that, you know, we all get into, into an airliner today. We know where your life vests are. Know where the exits are. And you were the flight attendant too. Yeah. No, I was everything. <laughs> I was everything. I mean, I was actually trying to go out my door. I had a door up front too. and Wouldn't open. It, 
it was no good. It was underwater, so you can't open it. And uh, I looked over my shoulder and said, all right, everybody out, get out, get out, get out. And uh, they were already gone. I was the only one left in the airplane. So they, they were out. They were, they were out. out. They got out. I'm a stickler on training, and we go through, and we try to, as we even flew together, I'm sure you did this with your crews, you try to brief emergency procedures every flight because you never know when you're going to need it. And sometimes, even if you have it, it doesn't make a difference. And accidents are rare, and this is not a whole conversation on accidents. But um, I think it's more an idea that prepare, right? Yeah. Prepare. Um, I'm sure if you thought back, you could think of what could I have done better, different. I'm sure it's played in your head, and we're not going to belittle that or beat that up because we all do that every single flight, right? I mean, every landing I do, I go, what could I have done better? Every takeoff, every time I yell at somebody, geez, should I have said it in that way? But we always want to debrief. And I think it's important, but I do see a lot of when you're new, you know, accidents are, I don't want to say a fact of life. I just want to say, especially because we'll move into a, into a different subject, you know, they do happen and you have to be prepared for it. Yep. I think the best prevention is preparation. Sure. In case something does happen. So, you know, in this case, you really couldn't prepare for it. No. Nope. Because there's no training for it. Parachute wouldn't have helped you. Nope. For those of you to fly airplanes with parachutes. A second engine would have helped. A second engine would help. Second engine would help but then, but then people need to be trained in how to fly with the second engine, right? We see a lot of crashes because on twins. They don't stomp on the rudder. They don't stomp on the correct rudder. The correct, yeah, they stomp on something, but it ain't the right thing. Yeah. But, you know, after that, uh, I look back on it every day. There doesn't, There isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about it. So it, it never goes away, but it's, uh, how you say that, does it, does it lessen? Does the incident lessen? You know when you get distance off of the first day, it's horrible, right? Right. As it goes on, it never really goes away, but so there's pain there. There may be second guessing, but how, how would I say this? Is it, how long did it take you to get back in an airplane again? It took me, that happened in December December 18th, I got back in the airplane in another caravan, the sister ship, in April. That's uh, five months later. Okay. Five months later, I got it. I flew the same trip, same call sign, same day. Did you hesitate at the end of the runway? <laughs> oh, boy, did I ever. You know, I, everything was fine until we crossed the water, you know, and then it's like, oh, boy, here it comes, you know, and you get that. I'm getting the hair back in back in my neck standing up again, but well, it it, uh, it it was like you know what I can't fly single engine over water anymore. No, I don't know. You know, and I I do it again, uh, but not by choice. Well, but you didn't quit flying is where we're going with this and i think some people get so some people stop on their dreams with far less of a setback. Okay, that's a pretty big setback, right? Yeah, and, well, and you would spend a whole career as an airline captain at this point. Correct. So you were not some newbie to aviation. I mean, I I hate to see these kids, these kids getting in the caravan, having to fly over the water at night. They're doing this at night, single engine over water at night with these things. It it bothers me. Well, but when we're well, kids, that's personal. yeah. But when we were kids, I mean, look at look yeah. at 
I, I remember when I was getting my instrument rating, all the weather I flew in a 172. <laughs> a 172, right? You're, Why you're, am I doing this? You got thunderstorms and low visibility, and you're boldly launching, right? So these young kids flying these young these single-engine turboprops, I mean, that's right. great. But again, it's, it's, it's going back to no matter what you do, no matter how long your career, you're going to suffer setbacks. And so you came back from that, and then since then, you've been flying, you've flown with me in the Learjet. You own two airplanes, one of which we want to talk about here because uh, this is, well, at least the week we're recording this, we were supposed to be at Reno. Correct. And you evidently have something to do with Reno? I don't know. Do you? What, what, what is that? <laughs> I, own, I own a 1943 AT6C, and it's in Canadian colors. And we raced the Reno Air Races in the AT6 class. And we're a steady silver contender. And um, this airplane is, I have, I've had it since 2006. Been racing it every year, um, except for one year when we had some issues. But we since have had extremely good success. We actually took uh, the silver, first place silver, and we've also had uh, first place bronze in this airplane. Race number 50, known as Abracadabra, because that's what keeps it going is magic. Magic and money, man. Magic and money. Cubic dollars. Cubic dollars. Yeah, we just put a new engine in it, and my crew chief, Gary Walker, has now become partner in this thing because he's put in so much time, money, and effort, not to mention materials, into building a new engine that uh, this year we were very, very close very, very close. We're a gold contender. Had 2020 happened, we would have been even closer. We we would have given the guys a run for their money in the gold class easily. And, you know, for those of you that don't know the Reno Air Races, um, I'm sure you do. M- many of you do. But the T6 class, just to give you some perspective on that, the aircraft are all the same. They fly at about the same speed. They're all... They're all the same airplane. You can only do, and you know better than I do, Clyde, very minimal things to the airplane. There's, there's things you can do to the propeller, uh, minimize, you know, maximize. There's a minimum length and a maximum length. The engines have to be stock. All the parts on the engines have to be stock. You can profile the wings somewhat, not heavily. You have to retain the same shape. It's got to retain the same size, wingspan, and things of that nature. You can't use nitrous. Yeah, so these are, it's like, an uh, as on our show, or our last episode, we had Jeff Turney on from the jet class, and he was talking about the original thought to jets was going to be like an IROC, right? All L39s. Well, that's what the T6 class is. A T6 class is an IROC. They are all the same airplane. So it comes down to piloting and mechanics, making sure the airplane can get to the start line, right? This is why I fly jets, because we, <laughs> if you go to the jet pits, nobody's working on airplanes. You go to every other pit, right? Any yeah, well, you're always airplane. messing with timing and, yeah, and mags <laughs> and spark plugs. And, you know, you always got some issues. We've got a cylinder that might be a little low, you know, things of that nature. And so, so this is a race where people are closely. You don't have somebody leading by five plane lengths. Oh, it's like seconds. Yeah, microseconds. Microseconds. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the first time we won, we didn't even know if we had won or not. I mean, it was uh, we had passed him at the last second. 
by the finish line. As a photo finish, it was 0.001 second, which turns out to be one prop dome length. Yeah. Yeah. And that's life, isn't it? You know, sometimes you don't walk away with it. Life is about incremental things and it's kind of going. So you've been racing that since 2006. So what's that? 14 years, 14 years. God, it goes by quick. Yeah. <laughs> that whole year we were flying that Lear together, and that's a long time. It was. Well, it's well, really long when you got to fly with me. <laughs> Makes every no. flight longer. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Even even that trip down to Florida wasn't that long. No, was, that was great. It's cool the way aviation has its uh, its arms and legs and the people you meet and the airplanes you get to fly. And, you know, Clyde, you're you're kind of at the airport here. We're in my hangar. You see the comings and goings. You're part of the airport community that kind of watches what's going on. COVID's hit, and the airport volume is was down for a little bit, but is it coming back? It's or people? coming back. I mean, the ramp out there with the uh, biz jets are coming back it looks more or less normal people are flying the skydivers are going the gliders are going the guys that have airplanes are out going out going flying weather permitting uh, yeah today we have fire smoke and fire today is a better day than it was yesterday where we were down to a mile and a quarter or less and today i actually can see the pine nuts so, yeah, it, it does come back, and that's what we really want to make sure people are coming back out to the airports. We talk about air shows. We talk about air racing. We're still canceled because of this COVID, and I say BS because I'm not convinced that it's that it's as bad as what we're saying. Granted, but we can't shut down aviation over this, and the corporate aviation will continue to prosper for one reason. The people with the money are going to spend the money, and they're not going to go to the airlines, and they're going to take their money, and we see corporate jets flying, but aviation is the people like Clyde, the people like uh, many other people that have airplanes, you have a 310, assessing the 310, and it's the people out at the airport. And I think we need to see people coming back out to our airports again and getting back out to the races. You know, the races are gone for this year, so boo-hoo, what was us? Uh, but the races will be back next year. I don't know, are you guys going to do any? We are going to be there next year, and we're going to have a uh, an airplane that's going to be cleaned up, tightened up. That new engine that we have in there is getting, It was we had like 12 hours on that engine. So it's still being broken, and uh, we've got a new guy flying the airplane, Vitaly Petrovsky. That's the uh, Russian collusion, by the way. Yeah, that's our <laughs> Russian collusion. He's a, as he says, he's a Soviet. He's a Soviet. And uh, smooth, he's very smooth pilot, uh, excellent pilot, flies the G550 for a living, a Gulfstream. A big Gulfstream. Big, big Gulfstream. Yeah, he goes to Hawaii and Newark and... Who knows where else? Oh, he went to Spain, I think, too. Hmm. Yeah, imagine that. But uh, they—they—it's a whole different ball game next year. It's going to be—we're going to have one heck of a fast airplane with a very, very fast airplane driver. They say that in the T6 class, it's 90% pilot and 10% airplane. And I believe that. I would agree with that. It's uh, the the T6 can be a demanding airplane to fly in general. Not once it's flying. But the line is critical in the race course, um, and I'm not an expert on that. Uh, you know, I don't fly the uh, T6 on the race course. I've flown T6s. The hardest part of a T6 is the landing. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, you know, it's, it's a tail dragger. 
But for those of you that don't know, this is the airplane. The T-6 is the airplane that trained our military fighter pilots in World War II. It is the plane. It's a, that's why it's demanding to fly. The airplane is the last, the T-6 is the last airplane that you'll see before you get into a Mustang or a Thunderbolt or any kind of piston, heavy piston fighter was a T-6. And if you can fly the T-6 well from the back seat, you can fly anything. I can attest to that. Yeah, I used to teach in a T6. It's a demanding thing to do. Are you going to be selling rides in that or doing any rides with oh, the yeah. airplane? It's, it's the, uh, we're going to be doing rides in it. Uh, I don't know where or when because we use Vitaly to go do it. Um, I personally haven't flown the airplane in several years, but uh, I make history every time I fly that. Well, if somebody wants to ride in a T6, when the right time is, contact me through the show and keep your uh, email address with us. And when it's available, we'll let you know how to uh, pay for a ride. We'd like to have it back down here again for uh, the Roundup, Minden Roundup. We had it down here two years ago. Okay. It was on static display, but next time we intend to bring it down and have it uh, available. Right on. But airports down here, for those of you that don't know, there's uh, Clyde. I would call Clyde part of the airport welcoming committee. And I think every airport needs that, right? I mean, and I'm, not, I'm saying this smiling because the, every airport needs that. So when I tell people to come out to the airport, that somebody will walk up to you and meet you and greet you and be friendly and talk to you. Right? I mean, Correct. and we need to see more of that because as you're mentioning now, if we don't, right now we don't have a pilot shortage. Right now there's enough of us old guys that still have time left that are sucking up a bunch of corporate flying and stuff. But when the market opens up again, and mark my words, it will, it will open again, we're going to need pilots. So we need people coming out to airports. We need people that want to help. I'm sure with any airplane, right? There's, you got to come out and meet the people like Clyde at the airport. Grouchy guys like me, I'll stay in my hangar and just close the tour. <laughs> but but Clyde is actually happy to meet people. I think that's great because that makes all these airports are welcoming. And I think people don't realize that. And if we don't make these local airports of value, you can come out and meet an airline captain. You know, Clyde was an airline captain, wore the shirt and the hat and the epaulets and all that. You know what I'm saying? You don't, yeah, you don't know who you're going to meet at the local airport. Yeah, now my uniform is a jeans, t-shirt, and grodial sneakers and a baseball cap. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, what do you do? You used to work for an airline? Well, what were you, baggage? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there is a lot of that experience out there, a lot of it. What, what was your favorite thing about the airlines? Is the people. The people that I work with at Aloha Airlines, I mean, we still keep in touch. And, uh, you know, it, it, I hate to use the cliche, but we're all family. And uh, we still get together. We have reunions and things of that nature. And we stay in contact. And they've scattered to the four winds. And there's actually a couple of them in Prescott and Flagstaff and Phoenix, places that. And, uh, of course, most of them are still back in Hawaii. But we keep in touch. We have a network, you might say, that they, they help each other out, finding jobs and things of that nature, you know, if they need some help, uh, direction. You know, we're always open to that. And it's just like here, people go, hey, can, where can I find a job? It says, well, Minden Airport, slim. But, you know, maybe something and, you know, I have contacts all over the place and maybe I can help point you in the right direction. Kids want to learn how to fly. I mean, I've had kids from the airport 
maintenance guys, what do I have to do in order to become an air pilot mm -hmm. or a mechanic? Where can I go? What can I do? How much is it going to cost? Who needs help? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Who needs help? I mean, everybody. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at, people, as you come out here with this, because we are promoting aviation. That's what we do on this radio show. That's what our mission is. And it's it's a plea because I can speak from firsthand. Clyde is, uh, you know, great guy, a guy that will easily recommend somebody and knows everybody. I mean, oh, almost everybody. Almost everybody. <laughs> but a lot of people see Clyde at the airport and go, hey, he knows this guy that knows that guy that knows this guy. So you never know, ladies and gentlemen, who you're going to meet at a local airport. The first thing is you got to show up. The weather's getting nice. COVID's going away, or at least we're not afraid of it anymore. Um, I surely haven't. I, I have, but we're not wearing masks, by the way, and we're within six feet of each other. <laughs> so uh, call the governor. Um, but, yeah, you know, Clyde, I, I can say it's been a pleasure flying with you. Um, now we're doing kind of different things, but you never know, right? So there's there's always a way back. It's been an absolute pleasure flying with you uh, to fly with an airline captain in the right seat. Um, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for giving me a shot at flying one of my bucket list airplanes and you know flying with a great guy like you who's not who doesn't have an ego <laughs> uh, you know and a marine at that and yeah. i've been i've been told by other marines that says you are referring to me Claude. you are rude crude and crass <laughs> uh, you make a perfect marine there you go yeah but you know i've i've had a lot of fun in this career you know the t6 is just some icing on the cake for stuff that i do it hasn't been easy after the crash you know that that slowed everything down tremendously mm -hmm. um but i've flown a lot of different unusual airplanes that people only can talk about i mean how many people do you know have ever flown a twin otter not too many no there's a lot of a lot of a lot of cool stuff out there yeah, i've flown that thing down at the grand canyon that's interesting at least i had two engines this time yeah but uh and i've met a whole bunch of interesting people in this career and i would not give anything i wouldn't give it up i'd do it all over again yeah it's it's you know you got to find what you love to do make a decision to love what you do suffer through some indignities along the way suffer through some setbacks but in the meantime you know people that don't fly I talk to them all the time. Should have, could have, would have. Or, yeah, they don't want to take a step backwards or what they perceive as a step backwards. But you know what? If you're flying any airplane, it ain't a step backwards. It's a step forward. So you can fly a jet one day and think you're cool. But you know what? J3 Cub is just as cool sometimes more thing. cool. <laughs> so, I, I, can, I can tell you the same thing. I yeah. was flying. Here I was flying a 737 across the Pacific to points in the U.S. And one of the coolest things I did was one of my days off. I, here I was flying a J3 Cub in Hawaii over the ocean. At that time, I wasn't afraid of single engine over. <laughs> yeah, well. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. It's just recently a friend of mine, Sean Reynolds, brought his uh, Grumman uh, widget. Widget. Grumman widget with the uh, geared engines, the geared Lycoming engines and we took that thing up to lake tahoe and landed in the lake we took off again it's the first time i've actually put a airplane in the water and took off again there you go yeah and is the widget single engine twin engine no. oh, there you go all right that's how it is yeah, i, I have two 
but at least that was the time you're doing it on purpose. So that must have been an interesting, that's kind of an interesting way to wrap this show up is we we started with a story into the water, but a happy ending now, right? This one was a happy ending. It, it took a lot of distance to get back out of the water because of the density altitude. It was like 7,000 feet up there. Oh, yeah. It took a while. It took a while, but to actually put an airplane in the water and be able to reuse it. That's true. I didn't think of that when I saw your Facebook post, but now it makes more sense. Yeah, that 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 approach approach to landing the the hair oh, in the back right. of my neck was really yeah. standing up, like oh boy, uh, here it yeah. comes. You I know, can see that now. Excellent. Well, Clyde, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a while. We were trying to get him on here. So uh, I'm glad you've been able to, to join me on the show today. That, it went went pretty quick. It wasn't that painful, was it? No, it wasn't that painful. It's I've had more painful, painful experiences. With me, especially. <laughs> People go, it's really painful to talk to you, Dave. No, it really shouldn't be. This wasn't too it bad. Is. <laughs> you got to try flying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clyde, thank you so much. I'm grateful for all the help you've given me. And thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Been a pleasure talking with you, Dave, the original renegade aviator. Oh, man. Pilots are cool. That's why I listen to David Costa, the renegade aviator. So stay right there. We'll be right back. All right, David Costa, renegade aviator, back with you. Dreams. I just want to talk about dreams right now. Have you ever had the dream to hang out with cool airplanes, to be involved with air shows, to be involved with military jets? Has that been your dream? Is that something that you've always wanted to do? WorldRecordJet.com If you want to be involved, you know how simple it is? You only need to do one thing. Sign up. Simple. WorldRecordJet.com. Just send me an email through my website and you can get involved. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. You know, the TS-11 Iskra is a military, it's a military jet. It is a real military jet. And you're going to have the opportunity to be up close and personal, to be involved in what we're doing, to have the experience. I know for as long as I can remember, this is the experience that I envisioned that I would have loved to have taken advantage of. Well, I'm making this opportunity available to you, to those of you out there that are listening to the sound of my voice, an opportunity to be a big part or a little part of something really great. You may have the skills that we need already, or you may be given the opportunity to learn the skills that we need. I've made my decision, and my decision is to include as many people as I can in this world record jet project. It's all about value, ladies and gentlemen. I had a meeting with a member of my team this week, and it hit me. Value is all that matters. The money to do what we're doing is going to be immense. We're trying to raise a million dollars. But the money that we need is secondary to the value that we provide. If we provide the value, everything else falls into place, doesn't it? Because 
If we provide the value, the rest is a no-brainer. So everything that I've put together, that I've designed, is with value in mind. And let me go through some of this stuff. Think about it. These podcasts, the Renegade Aviator Radio Show and our new podcast, Aviator Case Files, coming soon, our video series that we're now putting into production, and the entire air show effort and our entire world record jet effort all offers huge value. It's a system. It's put together for a reason. So if you're a fan, what do we need to give you in value? Well, you need entertainment, maybe some inspiration. We want to give that back to you. That's the value that we provide. Hopefully this show, our videos, when you see us at an air show, you're getting something from that. It's not costing you a dime, but we're giving you that value. If you want to be a member of our crew, what value do you get in return for that? Well, you get the experience. There's value in that. You get to be around the jets, hang with the jets, be part of our crew, go to our air shows or come see us at our air shows and be a part of the accomplishments that we're putting together. What about a sponsor? Man, if you're a sponsor, it's all about relationships. The relationships that we're building with this endeavor, the brand awareness that you can receive, the new business that you can generate, and the good feeling of giving back is huge value to our sponsors. And I've got a VIP experience for two people, just two, that fit our profile. And they're going to have an opportunity to own part of one of these jets. And they're going to get a chance to either fly or fly with us. You need to contact me separately for that one because that's a big hurdle and we're looking for two of the right people, but I know you're out there. You want to talk about an experience, man, there's an opportunity for you. But for now, just go to worldrecordjet.com. Simply get on the mailing list. Join our calls that we're having each and every week. You can come out and visit our hangar anytime. You can be a part of what we're doing. You know, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's those who wish and those who complain. And there's those who step up and simply decide to take advantage. So if you've always wanted to do something around jets and air shows and world records, cool stuff. If that's what your dream has been, don't be a dreamer. Be somebody who takes action. WorldRecordJet.com. WorldRecordJet.com. I can't make it any easier than that. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. So for now, in the air with my TS-11 Iskra and on air with you each and every week, this is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya.